there's going to be three main components of every sermon that you ever hear from Sage. Four. The first being, this is the source of all truth, okay? Period. Whatever we're talking about, where, whether we're talking about God's relationship with us, our relationship with each other, or our relationship inside our own heads, whatever we're talking about, it's going to come back to the source of biblical truth. So here's the three things. First of all, every sermon's going to have these three components. What does this sermon tell me about who God is? What should I do or change in response to this? So God, me. And then how should this affect my relationships with others? So every single time you hear a sermon, you should take those three things away. In fact, a really good little review for yourself might be as you're driving away, you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your kids, just talk about those. Hey, what did we learn about God today? What, what should we do this week in response to what we heard? And then how should this affect us and each other? So you're going to hear a different preaching style this morning. You're going to hear a different um, thing that we focus on, because a lot of times when I preach, I'm more focused on your relationship with each other and your relationship inside of yourself based on biblical principles. And you're going to hear some different stuff, but here's the point. You're going to have all three of those, because you out of the same source, right? So let's go ahead and show this video real quick, and it's going to kind of sum up chapter five better than I could, but... Um, my subject this morning was the Ten Commandments. So I told Pastor Mark, I said, you just spent like six months on the Ten Commandments. Why don't I take the Ten Commandments? So we'll hear them from a little different view. But don't you wish you were this guy, like that you had this kind of talent? If you've seen these videos before, wouldn't you like to have like a tenth of his ability? Like it's so cool. So go ahead and watch this and then we'll come back. If we should just play those and like learn through the whole Bible. And by the way, just a side note, if you're a parent, um, Laura and I want to be very consistent on what we're doing in here. So in youth meeting on Wednesdays, we're actually walking through the Bible piece by piece, not along with what we're doing on Sundays. We're actually doing Bible stories because there used to be something a long time ago called Sunday school where we'd come in early before church and we'd learn Bible stories. And with, I heard, a, um, it's one of my favorite statements, methods are many, principles are few. Methods often change, but principles never do. The method of Sunday school may be gone, but the principle of knowing Bible stories should not go away. So we're actually walking through the Bible stories, and if anybody, if anybody knows about Genesis, there's some really interesting story, Bible stories in Genesis, and I'm like, let's just read them as they are, right? So let's dive into some of this. Um, a lot of the verses this morning we're going to talk about, I want you to turn to. I'm going to have the early ones up here, but some of the later ones I want us to turn to, even if I have them up here. Why? Because number one, Laura does sword drills in youth meeting. Like, you know what a sword drill is? There's different ways of doing it. I, I know Miss Elisa. But you put it above your head, then you say James chapter 4, and you put it down and you start going to it. You know, you know what the goal of that is? So, and, and again, if you've got to go to the index early on, that's fine. But 30, 40, 50 years in our Christian walk, we should be in this enough where we know if James is in the Old Testament or New Testament. Like, does that make sense? So one of the reasons I want you to turn to your Bible so you can kind of know where to go, go ahead and turn to the index. It's fine. Especially if you're a new Christian. That, that's a lot of pages, okay? Just turn to the index, figure out where the book is, but we kind of need to learn over time kind of where some of the Bible stuff is. So, Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James. You may have some different versions, perfectly fine, um, but that's what I'm going to be following. Two different passages, and I've got it up here as well. So if you don't want to turn to this one, I will encourage laziness this first time. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verses 19, 19 through 21. Did you know, by the way, before we start this, that there's more to the law and this, this story than just the Ten Commandments. Like, that made it sound really quick, didn't it? I was like, quick. It was like, all right, going up, get, getting the Ten Commandments coming down, worshiping golden calf, burning it, and everything else. There's a lot that goes through here. 
So while Moses is on the mountaintop, or as he's about to go up, who, do, who does God want to come up to the mountain? I'm not sure if you read the story or not. For, well, let's just be accountable to each other. How many read the story this week? If you didn't, it's okay. If you read the story, raise your hand. Cool. Who did God want to come to the mountain? The children of Israel. God's calling all of them up. But what did the people say? Chapter 20, verses 19, uh, 18 through 21, 19 through 21. Uh, now all the people, yep, now all the people, that's actually verse 18, witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, don't fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Chapter 32, flip over to chapter 32, the first six verses. Now, how many chapters are from 20 to 32? 12 chapters. I was talking to Pastor Mark this morning. He's going to touch on this next week, and I can't wait, so I'm not going to go here. But realize this, the law is not just a set of rules, okay? So if you've ever been taught that, well, the law is stupid, the law is just a bunch of rules, Jesus came and destroyed the law. No, Jesus came and fulfilled the law, and there's more than just rules in those 12 chapters. So Pastor Mark's probably going to dive into some of that in the next couple of weeks. I can't wait. But let's read this thing about the golden calf because this is a dumb story, all right? Do you, like, you remember the Exodus? God just took all these people out. He showed his hand in 100,000 different ways. Like, they know who God is. Now, let's watch this. Chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, stop there. What did they expect? Like, did they expect Moses just to go up and come down five minutes later? Like, okay, so we'll come back there in a second. When they saw Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to the little vice president here, hey, come make us gods that shall go before us as far as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what became of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Total side topic. If they just left Israel, how do they have all this gold when they just left as slaves? You can do your own study on that. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he, listen, he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a, modeled, mold, a molded calf. Then they said, the people said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Be, be careful before you say that's dumb because we're going to look at America in a minute. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We're going to look at some of the events surrounding some of this. Oh, by, by the way, the dumbest statement that I, I had never seen this before this story. I don't know why I've never seen it. When Moses comes down later and he's ticked off at Aaron, he goes up to Aaron, What happened? Aaron, Aaron recounts most of the story. <laughs> he said, the people wanted a God, so I told them to take off their earrings. They gave me the earrings. Go read it. It says this. Aaron said, I took all their gold, threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> out came this What? He molded it with his own tools and his own hands. Out came. Talking about lack of personal responsibility, you want to go back to America? No, never mind. We're not going to go there. <laughs> all right, we're going to view some of these events. Let's talk about a principle real quick. Go to the next slide. Here's a principle I want you to write down. 
Frustration is caused by unmet expectations. And I'm going to try, I, I'm going to, try to stay away from uh, extreme words, because what I want to say is all frustration, because I haven't run into anything yet that is frustration that is not caused by unmet. Let's just go with frustration. Let's stay away from extreme words. Here's what I want you to do with that piece of paper. Because I, I just want you to, you don't have to listen to this next part for a second. I'm just going to talk. I want you to write down between three and five people, if you're sitting next to one of them, try to guard it a little bit, that you've been, that you've been frustrated with in the last week to two weeks to a month. The first people that pop in your mind. And he, here, here is who is allowed. Anyone in your life is allowed. Yourself is allowed, and God is allowed, okay? You're not going to get like lightning to kill you if you put that you've been frustrated with God. That's allowed. Read any of the Psalms, okay? <laughs> Girlfriend, this is going to be just for you, all right? Maybe you want to use your own sheet of paper, however you want to do this, all right? I want you to hear this. The root of most frustration is unmet expectations. When expectations are not met, frustration begins. Frustration is caused. By the way, here's a note, and I want you to hear this. No one can cause you to be frustrated. You choose to be frustrated. I choose to be. I had a mentor tell me one time, hey, Chris, somebody spits in your face. What are you? I said, I'm mad. He said, no, you're wet. You choose to be mad. Right? You control. Teenagers who have had me, Savannah, have you ever heard anything about the remote control that you have? <laughs> Probably so much. One of the things I focus on all the time is you control your emotions. I control my emotions. When I say Denise is frustrating me, that's not really true. Denise is having an action or a reaction. I'm allowing myself to become frustrated. If you're already frustrated, good. Let's dive into some of this. Frustration can be at yourself, it can be at others, it can be at God. Question, can you listen fast? <laughs> I got a lot to say. So we're going to fly through this, all right? Here's the deal. Being aware of this principle, what can we do to lower frustration in our lives? Look at Mount Sinai for a second. What were the people's expectation of God? Oh, if we walk up to the mountain, he's going to kill us. Where did they get that? God just went through all this trouble to bring them out of Egypt, now they're saying, oh, because there's some lightning, he's going to kill us. Where did you get that expectation from? The people expected that Moses was going to go up, and it's, it's funny, with my new job, if a cell phone goes off in the middle of a meeting, they have to do 10 push-ups. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so so what, what were the people's expectations of Moses? What were the people's expectations of Aaron? Oh, you just need to totally break ties with your brother, and you need to make this golden calf because we're frustrated. You see how frustration is it, it brims up? And what happens? Everything negative in this story stems from, un, from incorrect or unmet expectations. Let's fly through this. First of all, I want to throw this side note in before we get started. There's a difference between frustration at situations and frustration at people. So many times we get frustrated at a situation in our life, we take it on on. Our kids, our spouse, our pastor, our pastor, our pastor, <laughs> I'm just kidding, he, he doesn't talk to somebody, it just, I was a pastor's kid for 30 years, so I've seen it. Let's very much differentiate when we're frustrated at a situation that we don't take it out on people. 
Sometimes we're frustrated in a situation because God's stirring something inside and it's time for us to change. And we don't want to change, right? And I'm not talking about changing spouses. I'm talking about maybe there's a time for you to change something in your life that you don't want to change, so it's causing a frustration. That's not really what this is about. That, it's not that, I'm talking about this is about when you have an unmet expectation towards a person, okay? So first of all, First of all, the first point we're going to talk about, how do we get rid of frustration, is you think about what you're thinking about. Well, that's a dumb statement. Henry Ford, and I put this quote up here, he said, thinking is the hardest work there is. Perhaps that's why so few people engage in it. I want you to think about the last time that you thought about your frustration. And I'm not just talking about thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about how frustrated you are. I'm thinking about the question of why. Those people that you wrote down in your list, when's the last time you sat down and thought about why am I frustrated with them? And I'm not talking about what they did to you. What's at the core of my frustration? What if the people of Israel had done this in this story? What's at the, why, why, am I, why do I have this expectation of God? What if the people would have looked at the salvation that God had given them and said, I know he's going to protect me, I know he loves me, if they just would have thought about their expectations, it would have changed everything. But no, they went with emotion. This is not my notes, but um, I recently got a sales job, and the guy who was training me said, Chris, here's the deal. When people walk up to talk to you, they have a cup of emotion that's full, especially if they've had a bad experience. You've got a cup of logic that you're trying to share with them. What happens if you try to pour your logic into their emotion? They're not going to receive any of it, right? Have you ever tried to have a logical conversation with somebody who's got a full cup of emotion? Does it do any good? So what do you need to do? You need to take some of their emotion and drink it. Sometimes you need to say, what's wrong? What did I do? Like, let's clear the air. Drink some of their emotion so maybe you can actually get some logic in. God's literally just trying to tell the people, I want to communicate with you. Why do you think I'm going to strike you dead? It's so funny when somebody will say, well, I want to say something. I don't want God to strike me dead. Where did you get that expectation? Like, where, where did that come in your head? Where, who trained you that? Right? And if you've said that, sorry. I, I'm just, that's not, anyways. So here's, so here's a couple points. How do we think about what we're thinking about? First of all, be self-aware. And that may sound weird. I'm going to describe it here because we've got two verses we're going to talk about. Be self-aware. How many people, okay. I'm trying to say this correctly so it doesn't sound like I'm blaming anything. Me. I have found myself living life in such a way that I live accidentally, not living on purpose. I wake up, I go to work, I come home, I go to sleep. I wake up, I go to work, I come home, I go to sleep. I, and all of a sudden, two weeks have gone by. I have no clue if I've spent any time with my wife. I have no clue if I've read my Bible. I have no clue if I've spent any time with God. And all of a sudden, I realize, I, the Bible says several times, they woke up to themselves. You ever seen that in the Bible? They woke up to themselves. So here's kind of what I'm telling you. We need to become self-aware and realize that God has given us specific tools to take our thoughts into captivity. Let's read. Turn to this in your Bible, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have this highlighted, by the way, if you don't highlight your Bible, <laughs> I did a devotion one time since a lot of you haven't heard me. This is my preaching style, okay? I did a devotion one time where um, people weren't focusing on what the Bible said. They were almost treating the leather and the paper holy. So I took it and I chunked it across the room into a trash can. Then I had one of the guys that picked it up and he's like dusting it off. I'm like, dude, buy another one at Publix for $3. If it's not that this leather will not return back to God void, 
It's the power that's in the learning. Now, I'm not saying we disrespect. Just please understand what I'm saying. I was using hyperbole to prove a point. But here's the point. The power of God unto salvation is not the paper and the letters. The power of God unto salvation is the power that's in, it's the spirit of the word that helps us live life. So please understand me when I say this. If you, and if you don't want to write in your Bible, it's perfectly fine. Mine is so written up because at certain points in my life, I need to remember something that God speaks to me. I've got circumstances written down. I have no clue why I'm here. Maybe somebody needs to hear this. I have circumstances written down in my Bible that God freed me from. I have times in my, I've got a Bible that I don't, you have a book or Bible that you don't want to get rid of because there's so much in there that you put. Put experiences in there. Put John 3, 17 when you felt condemned. God didn't come into the world to condemn. But that the world, like, like, start marking things up. So here's what I would encourage you to do. If something here speaks to you, put a star by it. Underline it. Maybe even put that person's name into one of these sections. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now listen to this. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Well, I just need to come tell all my problems to Pastor Mark, and he'll take care of me. No, the Holy Spirit gives you permission and authority to bring your own thoughts under captivity, but not if you don't choose to. Satan's biggest goal, yes, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but you know he doesn't have to do that if he can keep us apathetic and lazy our whole lives? Every one of us in this building, I don't know why this is coming across so rough, I'm sorry. You have a purpose. If, if I have anything that frustrates me the most, it's untapped potential. In square footage, what is the most valuable place in the world? Would you say it's like Google or something? Like in square footage, you know what it is? It's the cemetery. Because so many people die with their potential still inside because they live life accidentally, completely unself-aware that God has given us power over our thought processes. Just think about what you're thinking about. If you're frustrated over something this morning, stop and think first. First. That's the first thing to do because you have the power given by God to take your thoughts into captivity. Chris, how do I do that? Let's keep going. Proverbs chapter 4.23. If you don't have this one marked, Above all, guard the heart. It's the wellspring of life. Well, we can't really do that, I guess. Yes, we completely can. Guard your heart. Guard what comes into it. Guard what goes out of it. Let's think about it. Next slide. We got to go into this. This is big. Learn from silence. Laura and I are youth pastors. How hard do you think this one is to communicate? You know all you people are? You're just grown-up teenagers. If we don't learn this when we're young, it's really hard to get when we're older. How hard is this in our society today? Like, why do we think social media and everything is so big? Because we're scared of silence. If I were just to start talking right now, somebody would cough. Somebody would blow their nose. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. Here's the crazy part. You know that Jesus constantly left the crowds? He fed 5,000 people. What did he do? You people wore me out. I'm... Peace. <laughs> I'm gone. Like Jesus constantly left the crowd to go just be with the Father, just get alone with his thoughts. I've, I've heard it said before that if we hold on to what we have, God can't give us anything. I'm going to say it in a different way. If there's constantly a voice going on in our head, the Holy Spirit has no space to speak to us. 
Does that make sense? I've heard it said that the and I'm not crucifying TV, just hear me for a second. The average person watches in America watches four hours of TV a day, but the average TV in the household is on six hours. It means the average TV is on in the background. This was my childhood, okay? My childhood was spent, my dad was a pastor, but there was either golf or Star Trek or something on all the time in the background. I look back now and I thought, were we just scared of silence? Were we just scared of silence? If we're going to model Christ, he went and got by himself to think about his thought process. How was he able to listen to the Father so much? I would challenge, it's because he didn't spend all his time in busyness. Busyness helps us keep this false facade on. Well, I'm being productive because I'm so busy. Henry David Thoreau said, see the ants. The question is not, are you busy? It's what are you busy about? Are you busy about kingdom work? Are you busy about fixing relationships? Are you busy about something learned from the silences? I had this note in here. I don't even want to say it because it's already come across harsh, but by the way, when you're listening, especially to Pastor Mark, don't even do this for me. When you're listening to Pastor Mark, don't listen to agree or disagree. Listen to learn. Like, I, 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 like just ignore me for a minute, but I, I, I see these young guys where I'm working now, and they'll, they'll be on a conference call with this person who is exactly where they want to be. They've got all the success and all this kind of stuff, and I'll listen to the little conversations they're having while the person's talking, and they're like, well, that's stupid. Well, I don't even understand that. I'm like, she's not talking so you can agree or disagree. She's the one with the results. When Cindy Hildebrand speaks, ladies, she's got, is she perfect? Heck no, but don't listen to agree or disagree. Listen to learn. Listen to learn. When Pastor Mark's up here, does anybody think Pastor Mark might have a little bit of spiritual knowledge to share? Spiritual wisdom? John Trahan steps up on the stage. Don't listen to agree or disagree. Sometimes let your mind be silent. Listen and learn. It's a biblical concept all through the word is silence is golden. So don't be afraid of silence. Sometimes, as a TV quote said one time, when's the last time you went and sat on the grass for 10 minutes and did nothing? Maybe the reason you can't hear the voice of God right now is because there's too many, too many voices in your head. Just let me throw that out. Think about what you're thinking about. Well, I'm frustrated. When's the last time you just were quiet and thought about why? Just thought about why. There's a really good book by Tommy Newberry called The 4-8 Principle. If you've been around me for any amount of time or lore, you've heard of it. And it, there's a really important principle in there. It says, guard the first 15 minutes when you wake up and guard the last 15 minutes before you go to sleep. Because those times are vitally important. And how many of us wake up and the first thing we do is grab our cell phones? How many of us, the last thing we do before we go to sleep is we got voices in our head going, 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 try to sleep. Well, Chris, I've got no peace. Do you allow any silence in your life for the voice of God to get in? How do, what does that have to do with frustration or expectations? Let's go to the second part. Number two, examine your expectations. Examine your, un, and, and check out that statement. Unrealistic expectations, I could talk about this a long time. I'm not going to. You will get lunch. Sean and I were talking about this last week. He was beating himself up about something. Has anybody ever beat yourself up before? Let's just make sure we're all not alone, right? Probably all of us. Hear this very straightforward, please. Unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations, which lead to frustration. 
And when I was talking to Sean last week about this, like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Chris, everybody needs to hear this point. Look at the story of Mount Sinai. What did Israel expect of God? What did Moses expect of the people? What did Aaron expect of himself? What was Aaron, try, Aaron trying to prove based on his expectations? All of these unrealistic expectations create frustration. And it begins by living accidentally, not intentionally, and not thinking about what we're thinking about, not taking every thought into captivity. So let's look at some of these points. First, unrealistic expectations lead to incorrect belief systems. There are too many of these to count. Let me just throw a few out, okay? Like, as I was listing these, I'm like, one sheet of paper only. God should take away all problems in the world. How would he do that? He would cancel your free will, right? That's an unrealistic expectation. God should take away all issues in my life. You would have no more free will. You would have to be a robot because with free will comes a choice between good or evil, right? But we keep that unrealistic expectation. We get frustrated at God. Why are we frustrated at God? I want you to hear this because of an unrealistic expectation. What about this one? My wife should know what my needs are. Last time I checked, wives or husbands didn't have ESP. Have you communicated your expectations to them? And are you holding... <laughs> All the looks when I say stuff like that are so much fun. Husbands and wives, parents, do you expect your kids to act like adults at eight years old? Is it fair for you to expect a 13, 14, 15-year-old to act like you at 40? Unrealistic expectations lead to frustration. Have you been frustrated with kids? Hey, teenagers, do you expect your parents to be perfect? I'll shoot it right back at you. Come on. You know that. All right. The government should take care of us. With whose money? Like, and, and again, that's not a political statement. Like, that's just an unrealistic expectation. And where, here's the first thing that you should think about. Where did I get this expectation from? Like, go back to the Bible story. Where did the people get their expectation of God that he's going to kill them with lightning and fire? They've been being guided by fire. Every night, a pillar of fire appears to guide them. So where did the expectation come from that now the same fire is going to kill them? Like, it sounds silly when I say it like that, yet we have so many incorrect belief systems based on bad expectations. Other people should just give to me because. Just because. Other people should just give whatever I want. Where'd you get that expectation from? Just because we're breathing, we should just, we shouldn't have to earn it. it just, it's an unfair expectation. I should be able to live without sin. Now, let me speak to this for a moment. Personally, I believe that doable because of Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, that is past tense. Do I believe it's probable? Not even close. But here's the problem. Many of us come into our Christian walk with this expectation that we're going to be perfect, and then the first time we slip up, we dive into this dip of depression because we've, hear this, because we've held ourselves to unrealistic expectations. So we become frustrated. If you look at that sheet of paper, and if your name is on it, or it says me, or it says myself, it's probably because you've held yourself to unrealistic expectations. Now, to go to the other extreme, if you expect that your life is going to be video games and soda and everything else and you're going to wake up in the morning with a six-pack, that's an unrealistic expectation too. You do need to earn things, okay? You should hold yourself to some expectations, but you need to think about what you're thinking about and consider if it's fair. 
All right, next. That's, that's the next point. I'm sitting here going to so many points. Unrealistic expectations produce negative attitudes and negative actions. Turn in your Bible to James chapter 4. When we have, and it's so funny, you may be thinking, wow, I've never heard this from like a sermon before. Again, I don't, consider it this way, okay? I'm a teacher, I'm not a preacher. <laughs> like, would you agree that if you could fix some of these unrealistic expectations, your relationships with other people could be better? Is that fair to say? Well, then let's just bring Bible out. First, first John chapter four, verses seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And when the love is born of God, he that doesn't love is not born of God. So this is gonna help us love other people and be able to accept them. So look, look, there's so much biblical truth in this, it's ridiculous. I want you to hear this. James chapter four, verses one through three. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members, war inside? You lust and you don't have expectation. You murder and covet and cannot obtain expectation. Well, I should just have. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Unrealistic expectations produce anger, produce fear, produce disappointment, produce discouragement, produce envy. Have you ever experienced a negative, just forget ever, this week, have you experienced one of these negative actions or attitudes? Probably. And I would challenge that it comes from miscommunicated, unrealistic expectations of you, of others, or of God. I had people ask me when my dad passed away, Chris, were, were you mad at God? There's nothing wrong with, going, with walking through that time period, and some of you might have, and, there's, and that's okay. But here's one thing that I'll tell you. I never struggled with that because just to be perfectly honest, did I expect him to live forever? Unfortunately, because of Adam and Eve and because of continuous sin, death's gonna come to all of us. But it's probably gonna happen from time to time that something's gonna happen in your life. You're gonna be frustrated at God and that's gonna be okay. And what I want you to realize at that moment is you need to stop and think about what are my expectations? Before you dive into discouragement and disappointment and depression and fear, stop and say, what did I really expect out of this? Does that make sense? I'm trying to make sure that I'm hitting because I'm, I'm getting some blank stares. I want to make, sure, make sure we're getting this. <laughs> this is one of my favorite statements of all time, and we talked about this last week, I think. True maturity can be measured by how fast can you reframe a negative thought into a positive thought? Maturity is not an age. I've met some 18-year-olds that are more mature than 40-year-olds that I know. Maturity is not an age. Maturity has nothing to do with upbringing. In my, and, and I'm not saying, well, Chris said this is defined. Just play with me here, okay? I can tell somebody's maturity based on how long they stay on a negative thought. If we have a counseling session with somebody and they have the same negative thought in a month, I can tell that they're not really trying to fix it is that fair? Or if they are trying, they don't have the right tools. That might be more fair. Here's what we do. We need to stop and say, are my expectations anywhere close to realistic? Because you should be able to eventually go, okay, I feel discouragement, but I know the Bible says this, so I'm going to reframe it into a positive thought. That's true maturity. Or, we, I mean, if you want to stay on an envious or greedy thought for six months, feel free. 
It's poison in you, and it's going to hurt you over the long term. Third, on this point, is unrealistic expectations destroy relationships. I could stay on this all day. I will not. You see how there's so much here? I want you to take something away that you can use tomorrow. Laura brought this question up. She said, Chris, do me a favor and ask, ask everybody two questions. First of all, are your expectations realistic? And second of all, is the other person aware of my expectations? I could lay those two questions down, drop the mic, and walk away. Because there's biblical truth, and there's something you can take away in that. You can find out who God is from that. You can find something you can change from that. And you can figure out how to change relationships based on this. Husbands, quit expecting your wives to know what you're thinking. Communicate with them in their way of thinking. Why are you talking to husbands? Because that is one. All right? And if, you, if I do any kind of premarital counseling, there's three books they will read or I will not do the premarital counseling. First of all, it's Personality Plus. Because if you try to treat the other person and have no clue what their personality is, you're going to miscommunicate through the whole marriage and you're probably going to end up getting divorced because you're expecting them to be you and not expecting them to be them. The next book is The Five Love Languages by Gary Smalley. If you're giving appreciation like you need it, but here, here's a very fast example of The Five Love Languages. The way that I accept appreciation is called words of affirmation. When somebody tells me I did a good job, that means the world to me. My wife's is quality time. So how do you think that I give appreciation to my wife? Words of affirmation. I give it the way that I receive it, right? So I tell her, you're beautiful today. She's never going to have a problem not hearing how beautiful she is. She's going to hear it all the time. But what is my job as a husband? To give her quality time. I need to show appreciation in the way she needs it. Does that make sense? Okay, wives, same thing. When you put that on, I don't know why I'm harking on marriages this morning. When you put that on, you lost all right to claiming your body, claiming your mind, claiming your soul. You were one with the other person. And if you want a good marriage, quit focusing on what you need, focus on what they need. Get your expectations in order. All right? Get your expectations in order. When I tell people that I'm very happily married for 12 years, it's not because Laura's perfect. And it's not because I'm perfect. It's simply because I figured out a long time ago that she's not the problem. And she figured out that I'm not the problem. If we were to change our expectations, it wouldn't destroy relationships. I'm very convinced that the divorce rate would drop by 80% if people would just simply guard their expectations. Guard their expectations. And when you have an expectation that's not being met, when you have a frustration, what should you do? Ask yourself those two questions. Is my, is, when you're frustrated, ask yourself, is my expectation realistic? And second, does the person know? Well, I expected you to come home and have dinner ready. I didn't know that. So all of a sudden, I'm frustrated at something that I really can't. I probably harped on that enough. Parents, make sure your kids understand the expectations you have of them. It's not fair, as youth pastor, it's not fair for parents to have expectations of their kids that are not communicated. And then you ground them or you scream at them or you talk to them or you talk down to them and they don't even know why. Is that same? Is that same? And teenagers, you, we've already talked about this. All right? <laughs> I'm going to skip to the last point. How do, we, and how do we stop frustration? I asked Micah specifically to sing Amazing Grace this morning. He threw in grace on top of grace. 
and I'm so glad because this is where we're going. How do we end frustration in our lives? How do we fix our expectations? We accept grace and we give grace. We accept grace and we give grace. We accept grace and we give grace. Look at those three people on your sheet again. We're going to come back to them at the altar call. Did I put the statement up here? No, I didn't. I want you to hear something. If I have a sheet of paper, what, okay, if I, I'm, I'm trying to think of this. When I'm printing something on, on, the, on the computer and I, I want to leave space around the side, what is that called? Margin. You want to know why grace destroys frustration? Because it creates margin. What is margin? Listen to this. Margin can be described, hear this, as space that is provided for imperfection. Let that sink in for a minute. Margin is space that is given and provided for imperfection. Why aren't you frustrated at yourself? Probably because you don't give yourself enough margin. You're expecting perfection. You're expecting more from yourself than Jesus is. You're expecting something of God that's not even in the Bible because you think that you might have heard it from a spiritual leader of yours one time. Like, this is, are you seeing how this is all coming full circle? Grace. Grace. Grace is about margin for yourself, for other people, and even for your expectations of God himself. Not because we need to give grace for him for imperfections, but our thought processes about him, it bugs me when people think that we can understand everything about God. Like the mystery of God is the greatest thing in the world to me because it proves that he is far and above. If you ever see me in worship doing this, it's because for that moment I'm recognizing how much of a gap there is between me and him. Like we can never understand him completely. So that mystery is our margin. Okay, that mystery, we're never gonna totally understand him. So here's a couple things. Well, first of all, it's not even on here. Don't expect perfection from imperfect people. Fair? Especially if you're married to one. Anybody married to an imperfect? Don't raise your hand. A, first of all, accept grace yourself. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. If you don't have that highlighted, that's one you've got to have highlighted. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. While we were at our worst, he died for us. But how many of us don't think about what we're thinking about? We create unrealistic expectations of ourselves, and therefore, we are harder on ourselves than God is. We hold ourselves to higher expectations. When we were at our worst, he died for us. Realize by accepting grace, and I'm not going to focus too long in here because this is pretty straightforward, and I know I'm, I'm going too long, sorry. Realize what Jesus did for you and accept your new identity in him. This is part of salvation. I mean, it's kind of straightforward. Now, what should we do? Is that like a sin all I want to card? Romans chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Shall we sin more so that we can have more grace? And the apostle Paul's like, stupid question. Here, here's, that's not what he says. That's the Christian interpretation. Here's, here's an example I thought of this morning. I'm married to the perfect wife. No, I'm not. Let's just say, okay? She provides all five love languages. She makes dinner, does all this stuff, gives gifts. Um, she is absolutely perfect, okay, in, in every way. Chris all of a sudden says, well, you know what? Since she's perfect, she's going to forgive me. I'm just going to go cheat on her and then come back, and I know she's going to forgive me. So, I mean, it just makes logical sense to me. No, what I should do is live in such a way that I show her appreciation for how awesome she is. 
I should buy the roses. I should take her out to eat. I should live my life in such a way that I show the appreciation for how incredible she is. That's what we do in response to how amazing God is and his grace for us. Shall we sin just so we can have more grace? No, we should live in appreciation of his grace. We should live in such a way that we honor him in everything that we do, the meditations of our heart and our mind. And B, give grace. Give grace. What does the chorus of amazing grace say? Well, not the old version, the new version. My chains are gone. But you know what I see? I see a lot of relationships between people that still have chains on because they're not giving grace. Here's the point. We focus so much, and this is where I'm going to end, we focus so much on accepting God's grace that we forget that we are now supposed to be the light in a dark world and reflect his grace on other people. Yes, I'm going to accept God's grace, but I refuse to give it to Mark. I refuse to give it to Micah. Does that make sense? I'm just going to read some of these notes, and then we're going to be done. I would guess that if you live in constant frustration, you're not giving enough grace to other people. The people of Israel should have given more grace to Moses. Like, we should give more grace to each other. Many times, we only think of the transfer of grace happening between God when we need to model that transfer in our relationship with other people. There's a parable that Jesus gives. I'm going to bring it a little more current. This millionaire, this business owner came to a millionaire and said, hey, I'm sorry, I know that I owe you a lot of money. I owed him like $10 million, let's say. And the, the millionaire says, you know what? You've always been an awesome guy. I'm going to forgive that debt. And that guy that owed $10 million is like, that's awesome. That guy went to one of his buddies that owed him 1000 and said, you either pay me or I'm throwing you in jail. And he pressed charges and threw the guy in jail. What do you think the millionaire said? Dude, I just gave you grace for $10 million and you couldn't even forgive a guy a thousand? Let's just throw you in jail too because you don't know how to model grace. How much have we been forgiven that we should turn around and model that towards other people? Fair? Fair giving grace takes an intentional understanding of the other person's viewpoint. How did Jesus learn our viewpoint? The incarnation. When he came from heaven, came to earth, to almost learn our viewpoint in a sense. That's why the Bible says that he knows our pain. He knows our struggle because he walked through it. I'm scared sometimes that we're unwilling to get into the situation of the other person. We almost want to hold that grudge. We almost want to hold on to that. If you were frustrated this morning, I'm going to challenge you, first of all, accept the grace of God in your own life. But second of all, let's turn it around and model that grace to others. Because then we're modeling the example of Christ. John Bradford was a 16th century minister. He saw a group of prisoners being led to their execution. And the guy that was with him, he turned to him and he said, you know what? There, but by the grace of God is John Bradford. There, but by the grace of God, go I. And we need to realize when we're in MSP, living with a whole bunch of other ladies, when we're married to an imperfect person, when we have imperfect kids, when we have imperfect friends, we need to realize there, but by the grace of God, go I. If I've been given all this grace, maybe I should adjust my expectations a little bit of God, of myself, of other people, and decrease the frustration by increasing the grace. Here's what I want you to do for an altar call. As Micah plays, 
Because there's a Bible verse that um, God's talking to the children of Israel. And he said, if you're offering a sacrifice down here and you remember that you have a problem against your brother, get up from the altar, go fix it with your brother, then come back. I think so many times we come into church and forget that the relationships we have with everybody else have just as much to do with our Christian walk as a Sunday morning service. So here's, what, here's the altar call. I want you to look at that sheet of paper, and if you didn't write anything, it's okay. I want you to think of somebody. And I want you to ask God as we worship, help me to give grace to these people. Teach me how to give grace to these people. Fix my mindset. Help me step into their life. You've got mentors and people here that you can talk to. Speak with someone. How do I give grace in the hardest of circumstances? It's not going to be easy. But God never told us it would be easy. He told us it would be worth it. When we see him face to face, we're going to realize that all of our frustrations were so simple. It's really not that big of a deal unless we make it a big deal. And what, is, what does Jesus scream from heaven? Give grace. Give grace. So I'm going to pray. And if you need to come to the altar, feel free. Some of you may actually need to step out and go fix a situation right now. I would challenge you maybe go outside, take care of it. But you know that this place is a place of healing and restoration. It's not a place for perfect people. <laughs> CLF's just not a place for perfect people. This is going to be a time of healing and restoration, I believe. That you're going to, for the first time, maybe ever, give grace to a situation that's been bothering you for a decade. Maybe you're going to be able to accept grace when you've never been able to accept it before. Whatever it is, today is the day of salvation and today is the day of grace. So I'm going to pray. We're going to spend some time in worship, and I want you to focus on your list as you worship and ask him how you can have grace with people. Lord Jesus, I have no clue why this was on my heart this strong this morning, but I do believe that this is a morning and this is a time of healing. This is a time of renewal of relationships. And this is a time of accepting grace in our lives and modeling grace to each other. I'm asking you this morning to bring healing, to bring restoration into relationships in our own minds. And Lord, most of all, restoration with you if someone has never accepted that grace before. And Lord, this morning, I thank you for your grace. And I ask that we will live in that grace every day for the rest of our lives. And that we won't have to be bogged down by frustration and depression because you freed us from all those things.